0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to health care. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.: The Ghost of Dr. Harris by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or, to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ghost of Dr. Harris by Nathaniel Hawthorne I am afraid this ghost story will bear a very faded aspect when transferred to paper. Whatever effect it had on you, whatever charm it retains in your memory, is perhaps to be attributed to the favorable circumstances under which it was originally told. We were sitting, I remember, Late in the evening, in your drawing room, where the lights of the chandelier were so muffled as to produce a delicious obscurity, through which the fire diffused a dim, red glow. In this rich twilight, the feelings of the party had been properly attuned by some tales of English superstition, and the lady of Smith Hills Hall had just been describing that bloody footstep which marks the threshold of her old mansion, when your Yankee guest zealous for the honor of his country and desirous of proving that his dead compatriots have the same ghostly privileges as other dead people if they think it worth while to use them began a story of something wonderful that long ago happened to himself possibly in the verbal narrative he may have assumed a little more license than would be allowed in a written record for the sake of the artistic effect He may then have thrown in, here and there, a few slight circumstances which he will not think it proper to retain in what he now puts forth as the sober statement of a veritable fact. A good many years ago, it must be as many as fifteen, perhaps more, and while I was still a bachelor, I resided at Boston, in the United States. In that city there is a large and long-established library, styled the Athenaeum, connected with which is a reading room well supplied with foreign and American periodicals and newspapers. A splendid edifice has since been erected by the proprietors of the institution, but, at the period I speak of, it was contained within a large old mansion, formerly the town residence of an eminent citizen of Boston. The reading room, a spacious hall with the group of the Laocoon at one end and the Belvedere Apollo at the other, was frequented by not a few elderly merchants, retired from business, by clergymen and lawyers, and by such literary men as we had amongst us. These good people were mostly old, leisurely, and somnolent, and used to nod and doze for hours together, with the newspapers before them, ever and anon recovering themselves so far as to read a word or two of the politics of the day, sitting, as it were, on the boundary of the land of dreams, and having little to do with this world, except through the newspapers, which they so tenaciously grasped. One of these worthies, whom I occasionally saw there, was the Reverend Dr. Harris, a Unitarian clergyman of considerable repute and eminence. He was very far advanced in life, no less than eighty years old, and probably more, and he resided, I think, at Dorchester, a suburban village in the immediate vicinity of Boston. I had never been personally acquainted with the good old clergyman, but had heard of him all of my life as a noteworthy man, so that, when he was first pointed out to me, I looked at him with a certain specialty of attention, and always subsequently eyed him with a degree of interest whenever I happened to see him at the Athenaeum or elsewhere. He was a small, withered, and firm, but brisk old gentleman, with snow-white hair, a somewhat stooping figure, but yet a remarkable alacrity of movement. I remember it was in the street when I first noticed him. The doctor was plodding along with a staff, but turned smartly about on being addressed by the gentleman who was with me, and responded with a good deal of vivacity. "'Who is he?' I inquired, as soon as he had passed. "'The Reverend Dr. Harris of Dorchester,' replied my companion, and from that time I often saw him, and never forgot his aspect.' His especial haunt was the Athenaeum. There I used to see him daily and almost always with a newspaper, the Boston Post, which was the leading journal of the Democratic Party in the northern states. As old Dr. Harris had been a noted Democrat during his more active life, it was a very natural thing that he should still like to read the Boston Post. There his reverend figure was accustomed to sit day after day in the self-same chair by the fireside, and by degrees... Seeing him there so constantly, I began to look towards him as I entered the reading room and felt that a kind of acquaintance, at least on my part, was established. Not that I had any reason, as long as this venerable person remained in the body, to suppose that he had ever noticed me, but by some subtle connection, the small, white-haired, infirm, yet vivacious figure of an old clergyman became associated with my idea and recollection of the place. One day especially... About noon, as was generally his hour, I am perfectly certain that I had seen this figure of old Dr. Harris, and taken my customary note of him, although I remember nothing in his appearance at all different from what I had seen on many previous occasions. But that very evening, a friend said to me, "'Did you hear that old Dr. Harris is dead?' "'No,' I said, very quietly, and it cannot be true, for I saw him at the Athenaeum to-day.' You must be mistaken, rejoined my friend. He is certainly dead, and confirmed the fact with such special circumstance that I could no longer doubt it. My friend has often since assured me that I seemed much startled at the intelligence, but, as well as I can recollect, I believe that I was very little disturbed, if at all, but set down the apparition as a mistake of my own, or perhaps the interposition of a familiar idea into the place and amid the circumstances with which I had been accustomed to associate it the next day as i ascended the steps of the athenaeum i remember thinking within myself well i never shall see old dr harris again with this thought in my mind as i opened the door of the reading room i glanced towards the spot and chair where dr harris usually sat and there to my astonishment sat the gray and firm figure of the deceased doctor reading the newspaper as was his wont his own death must have been recorded that very morning in that very newspaper i have no recollection of being greatly discomposed at the moment nor indeed that i felt any extraordinary emotion whatever probably if ghosts were in the habit of coming among us they would coincide with the ordinary train of affairs and melt into them so familiarly that we should not be shocked at their presence at all events so it was in this instance i looked through the newspapers as usual and turned over the periodicals taking about as much interest in their contents as at other times. Once or twice, no doubt, I may have lifted my eyes from the page to look again at the venerable doctor, who ought then to have been lying in his coffin, dressed out for the grave, but who felt such interest in the Boston Post as to come back from the other world to read it in the morning after his death. One might have supposed that he would have cared more about the novelties of the sphere to which he had just been introduced than about the politics he had left behind him the apparition took no notice of me nor behaved otherwise in any respect than on any previous day nobody but myself seemed to notice him and yet the old gentlemen round about the fire beside his chair were his life-long acquaintances who were perhaps thinking of his death and who in a day or two would deem it a proper courtesy to attend his funeral I have forgotten how the ghost of Dr. Harris took its departure from the Athenaeum on this occasion, or, in fact, whether the ghost or I went first. This equanimity, and almost indifference on my part, the careless way in which I glanced at so singular a mystery and left it aside, is what now surprises me as much as anything else in the affair. From that time, for a long while thereafter, for weeks at least, and I know not but for months— I used to see the figure of Dr. Harris quite as frequently as before his death. It grew to be so common that at length I regarded the venerable defunct no more than any other of the old fogies who basked before the fire and dozed over the newspapers. It was but a ghost, nothing but thin air, not tangible nor appreciable, nor demanding any attention from a man of flesh and blood. I cannot recollect any cold shudderings, any awe, any repugnance, any emotion whatsoever, such as would be suitable and decorous on beholding a visitant from the spiritual world. It is very strange, but such is the truth. It appears excessively odd to me now that I did not adopt such means as I readily might to ascertain whether the appearance had solid substance or was merely gaseous and vapory. I might have brushed against him, have jostled his chair, or have trodden accidentally on his poor old toes. I might have snatched the Boston Post, unless that were an apparition too, out of his shadowy hands. I might have tested him in a hundred ways, but I did nothing of the kind. Perhaps I was loth to destroy the illusion, and to rob myself so good of a ghost story, which might probably have been explained in some very commonplace way. "'Perhaps, after all, I had a secret dread of the old phenomenon "'and therefore kept within my limits "'with an instinctive caution which I mistook for indifference. "'But this as it may, here is the fact. "'I saw the figure, day after day, for a considerable space of time "'and took no pains to ascertain whether it was a ghost or no. "'I never, to my knowledge, saw him come into the reading room "'or depart from it. "'There sat Dr. Harris in his customary chair.' and I can say little else about him. After a certain period, I really know not how long, I began to notice, or to fancy, a peculiar regard in the old gentleman's aspect towards myself. I sometimes found him gazing at me, and unless I deceived myself, there was a sort of expectancy in his face. His spectacles, I think, were shoved up so that his bleared eyes might meet my own. Had he been a living man, I should have flattered myself that good Dr. Harris was, for some reason or other, interested in me and desirous of a personal acquaintance. Being a ghost, and amenable to ghostly laws, it was natural to conclude that he was waiting to be spoken to before delivering whatever message he wished to impart. But, if so, the ghost had shown the bad judgment common among the spiritual brotherhood, both as regarded the place of interview and the person whom he had selected as the recipient of his communications. In the reading-room of the Athenaeum, conversation is strictly forbidden, and I could not have addressed the apparition without drawing the instant notice and indignant frowns of the slumberous old gentleman around me. I myself, too, at that time, was as shy as any ghost, and followed the ghost's rule never to speak first. And what an absurd figure should I have made, solemnly and awfully addressing what must have appeared in the eyes of all the rest of the company— An empty chair. Besides, I had never been introduced to Dr. Harris, dead or alive, and I am not aware that social regulations are to be abrogated by the accidental fact of one of the parties having crossed the imperceptible line which separates the other party from the spiritual world. If ghosts throw off all conventionalism among themselves, it does not therefore follow that it can be safely dispensed with by those who are still hampered with flesh and blood. For such reasons as these, and reflecting, moreover, that the deceased doctor might burden me with some disagreeable task, with which I had no business nor wish to be concerned, I stubbornly resolved to have nothing to say to him. To this determination I adhered, and not a syllable ever passed between the ghost of Dr. Harris and myself. To the best of my recollection, I never observed the old gentleman either enter the reading room or depart from it or move from his chair, or lay down the newspaper, or exchange a look with any person in the company, unless it were myself. He was not by any means invariably in his place. In the evening, for instance, though often at the reading room myself, I never saw him. It was at the brightest noontide that I used to behold him, sitting within the most comfortable focus of the glowing fire, as real and lifelike as any object, except that he was so very old and of an ashen complexion, as any other in the room. After a long while of this strange intercourse, if such it can be called, I remember, once at least, and I know not but oftener, a sad, wistful, disappointed gaze which the ghost fixed upon me from beneath his spectacles, a melancholy look of hopelessness, which, if my heart had not been as hard as a paving stone, I could hardly have withstood. But I did withstand it, and I think I saw him no more after this last appealing look, which still dwells in my memory as perfectly as while my own eyes were encountering the dim and bleared eyes of the ghost. And whenever I recall this strange passage of my life, I see the small, old, withered figure of Dr. Harris sitting in his accustomed chair, the Boston Post in his hand, his spectacles shoved upwards, and gazing at me as I closed the door of the reading room with that wistful appealing, hopeless, helpless look. I have only to add that it was not until long after I had ceased to encounter the ghost that I became aware how very odd and strange the whole affair had been, and even now I am made sensible of its strangeness, chiefly by the wonder and incredulity of those to whom I tell the story. End of The Ghost of Dr. Harris by Nathaniel Hawthorne